Say hey, y'all. It's Amber Sheree. It's And it's the Inner Circle Podcast. Circle Podcast. Hey, y'all. It's Amber Sheree. And Taylor Breeze here. And this is the Inner Circle Podcast. Welcome back to another week, you guys. Yes, welcome back. Woo woo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is a very special podcast, uh, which I'm excited about because we have a guest this week. So, yeah. And it's so cool because we'll be able to really touch on what we are like going through as a a society right now so it Mm -hmm. it was very helpful to really get someone that was a an expert or knowledgeable about you know the economy as you guys read in the title so so yeah. yeah so before we get into that as we always do so tell us about your week so far miss amber (laughs) um week is going okay um and yeah it's just busy um we are by the time you guys hear this we'll be ramped up to go on spring break and so that will be awesome so we're going to spend a couple of days in chicago taking junior to multiple different places and to see different people and so um it's gonna be awesome but other than that it's just been really really busy honestly uh with work and life which it's all good things so I'm so grateful and appreciative of it so yeah how about you Taylor um a lot of stuff going on over here I am in school I am taking care of myself I am nurturing my relationships or at least trying to I'll be over at your house this weekend I don't know if I told you that but um (laughs) are you going to be okay that's fine I didn't tell you but I figured I was welcome Okay, uh, we'll do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I'm I just passed midterms, so we're kind of on this like five week schedule right now, and then some of our classes are doing ten weeks. So I had five week class end, and a ten week had its midterm. So I had like a final and a midterm, um, last week, and so now it's just kind of like you know the calm after the storm but at the same time I'm still really pressing forward in my new lab and um like uh I'm in a new rotation right now um so part of my program is going through three rotations for those who may not know maybe your first time listening I am a PhD student and um, I do biomedical sciences so we do rotations in this program and I just, well, I'm almost done with my last one. Um, and so with that being said, it's just like they invited me to a conference. And so now I'm getting ready for the conference and I'm learning a lot of new stuff and I'm working with someone who has already had experience with this. So of course he moves a lot faster than me. So nonetheless, here I am and, you know, I'm pressing forward and having a great time. Back to you. <laughs> I wish we were that formal on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> um, but we will keep the the train going because we there is the interview was just really good. And so I feel like you guys would you guys are definitely gonna benefit for that from that. And I don't we don't want to keep you any longer from it. So Taylor, what is the word of the week before we jump into the interview? Yes. So um, the word of the week is vector. So a lot of the work that I'm doing deals with vectors. And if you were like me, and I really did not enjoy math, actually, I had a really hard time with it. Um, you probably erased vectors from your brain. Um, but the, <laughs> the like I did. Um, so the definition of a vector is a quantity having direction as well as magnitude especially as determining the position of one point in space relative to another. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, It doesn't really matter. But it's basically just about like length and um, where. So it's, it's a mathematical term, but 
um amber and i when we talked about the word of the week we came up with vector um marketing which sells cutco um we had some thoughts i, I had some thoughts i'm not gonna speak for amber <laughs> but nonetheless um uh, even in their logo if you look it up they have vectors as an example those little arrows on the right side of the v um, are vectors it's just an arrow that points in a direction and they all have for your information they may have <laughs> different magnitudes because some are longer than the other um so there's my little nerding out for the week <laughs> and i'm done <laughs> well thank you for the word of the week and so Guys, we are so excited to have on a repeat guest, and we've had a couple of repeat guests as we've gone through multiple different seasons, but this one um, came on with my husband. Ooh, I, I'm not even going to quote the wrong season or episode, but I am excited to have on Cameron Christian from Black Swan Financial, and he's coming on to talk to us about well, it was a lot of things. The banking crisis, um, the twenty, the recession yep. of 28, uh, 20, 2008. Why I want to say 2018? 2008. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a weird way to say it. <laughs> I know, right? It sounds weird. But um, again, we, we came in full throttle with lots of different questions, wanting to really learn. And he was very resourceful and really got us through pretty much all of the questions and really broke it down to us to to help us digest what is happening in the economy and it was awesome and so we just wanted to share that with you so you guys take a listen hey guys so this week I'm excited I mean Taylor and I are bringing back on one of our previous guests um Cameron Christian and the main thing, the main reason why we want to bring him on is because the last time we talked about finance and business and different things like that with Nicholas on coming on, but this time our economy is just doing a lot right now. And yeah, <laughs> turbulent. Um, and sometimes you can feel like I don't quite understand the media that might be coming through. I don't really understand all of the stuff that's going on. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it impacts me and how can I make those next steps to cover myself or my family or even just basic understanding, not even like from an individual. Yeah. So we wanted to bring Cameron on. Um, obviously, you guys have met him before. He has a background in finance, he's an MBA um from can i mention school yeah <laughs> okay all right just want to make sure from iu bloomington um and he has had so much over a decade of experience in finance and in business and he also has his own youtube which we talked about in our last episode and so i just wanted to bring him on and kind of pick his brain so before we do that, let's um, have Cameron bring us up to speed, especially if you are a new listener and you're not, you haven't listened to his previous episode. I want him to share his background and experience with us very briefly. And then Taylor and I have prepared some questions for him to kind of walk through his and get some insight from him on how he is viewing the current market. So welcome, Cameron. Yes. Thanks. Uh, so quick background on me. Um, I got my start in the world of business, as I'll call it, uh, right before the 2008 financial crisis. So specifically, I graduated uh, undergrad December 2007, um, rather than May, as most people, I was a double major. So I had a December graduation, went into the financial crisis, worked at Bank of America um, doing uh, consumer lending. So I really got a chance to see how the bank was changing its lending uh, strategy throughout the crisis, went on to GE Capital. Then I went on to work for my current employer after getting my MBA. Uh, I'll leave the name out, but uh, there I managed a portfolio of about $1.4 of accounts receivable spread across the U.S. and Canada. 
And um, still with the company now, uh, went on to do some commodity trading. And then about a year and a half ago, moved on to a new role where I'm doing business development. Very awesome. Cool. Thank you. So for those of us who um, maybe did get like banking, how banking works in general back in like middle school, that econ class. Um, but as many of us are no longer in middle school anymore, we may have forgot a little bit on how banking works and maybe what contributes to, you know, you mentioned the 2008 recession and then even now with like the big um, bank failure of uh, Silicon Valley and are those related? Those are two different questions. So we'll just start with, you know, how does banking work? And then we can move into the other. Um, yeah. So in a nutshell, when you, Put your money into the bank the bank takes that money and it tries to make money off of the money that you've deposited so um the banks are interested in long-term deposits and we'll see this theme come back later on in our discussion but long-term deposits steady so if you have a savings account um, you may have noticed that the government regulations stipulates you can only pull out your savings accounts six times per month you know mm -hmm. because they want to ensure that that capital base is there that so that the banks can use that money and then go and uh, issue loans to people in the community. They can also go and buy U.S. Treasury bonds, things of that nature. So whatever you deposit into the bank, whether it's for a checking account, savings account, money market account, the bank is taking a portion of that. And then they go out and they try to make money off of it by issuing loans, buying bonds, things of that nature. So at any given point in time, if you put $100,000 into the bank, the bank may only have, say, for example, 20000 in liquid cash that they can mm -hmm. give you at any given point in time. The rest of it is going to be tied up, um, so they're not able to give that to you immediately. But that's the overall premise on how it works. And what we've seen with the, um, the bank collapses is there's a flood of people going to get their cash and a lot of that cash is tied up in those investments and those loans. And that leads to some complications, uh, of course. Yeah. So is that kind of the framework of what happened with the 2008 recession? Um, not exactly. The 2008 recession uh, was uh, a bunch of things. Uh, number one, if... So I'm sure some of your listeners, they've probably seen the big short, the movie. Um, that That's a good way of explaining it. But... In summary, you had a lot of loans that were given out, no documentation, no income verification. Uh, a lot of folks uh, were able to get these mortgages, large mortgages, and they had adjustable rate mortgages as well. So they started to lose their jobs or they started to um, have a re repricing of their mortgages. So the interest rates went up on the mortgages and the payments went up. And they weren't able to keep up with the payments or the value of their homes actually tanked as a result of everything that was going on in the economy. And they said, hey, you know, I owe more on this property than what it's worth. Yeah. Why should I keep paying on it? I, I can tell you some of the things that I witnessed firsthand when I was doing consumer lending back then. There was a gentleman in California. He had a mortgage for about $2.3 something of that nature. And... When I spoke to him, you know, because there were some risk indicators that caused him to be flagged by the bank. So I called him up and I spoke to him and he said that he was a laborer and he was doing like landscaping or something. I said, oh, okay, so you own a, a landscaping company? He said, no, I don't own a landscaping company. Okay, so how much do you make? It was about twenty-four to 40000 a year. Wow, a year on a $2.3 million Yes. So wow. I went on to ask some more questions. And what he told me is essentially there were four families in that house mm -hmm. and they pulled their money together. And that's how they came up with enough money to get the house. But still, when you go through the underwriting process, that should be caught. Yeah. And he never should have been allowed to get the loan. So there was a lot of things like that where mm -hmm. weak underwriting standards allowed folks to get loans that they weren't qualified to get in the first place. And then you had the uh, adjustable rate mortgages, those uh, increased. 
Yeah. And people were struggling to keep up with the payments and home values went down. Mm-hmm. And then people said, okay, why should I pay for something, you know, where, you know, it's worth less than what I bought it for. Yeah. And then you had the, um, the mortgage backed securities where they bundle all the mortgages together, sell it as an investment. And um, some of the banks, they ran into issues with that because they didn't understand the risk profile of mm-hmm. the probability that, you know, such a large percentage would, you know, go into default. And it just started a whole slew of things. So that's what happened with 2008. Makes sense. Um, so then that's 2008. 2023, we are <laughs> back looking at the banking landscape and overall public, you know, mistrust of banks <laughs> with mm-hmm. people going to withdraw their money now um i guess can you walk us a little bit like give us a brief overview on like what you see going on now yeah so this time around it's it's a bit different um last time it was mortgage related this time around it's big companies right big, big companies but i would say in large part it has to do with the raising of interest rates, raising mm-hmm. of the, the Fed funds rate. And to dissect that a little bit, first we had one of the banks, uh, I can't remember the name right now, but uh, they were focused on crypto and yeah. they went under. Signature. Yeah. And then, well, actually there was another one before Signature. I um, thought it was Do- uh, Doge, whatever, the guy who's like going to jail or whatever. No. Is, is that the one you're talking about? No, that that's um that's a coin, but there was an actual oh. bank, and I'll I don't want to misspeak and say the wrong gotcha. bank name. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> liability reasons, but <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> there there was another bank that went under, and that was crypto related. And fast forward, then you have um the Silicon Valley Bank. So Silicon Valley, and one of my MBA classmates, he actually works there, so I've, I've got some context uh, from him on what's transpired as well, but. Essentially, they focus on the startup companies. So a lot of the venture capital um, firms, they have their portfolio companies that have their banking with uh, Silicon Valley. Um, You also have a lot of tech companies as well that bank with Silicon Valley. And the reason for that is, is Silicon Valley, they took a different approach to lending. They would come up with creative ways to lend a company that wasn't necessarily the most profitable straight out the bat because they were just formed. So for example, one of the things that they did is they would actually take an equity stake in these companies in exchange for the loan. Yes. So you couldn't go to your regular city bank or wherever and get a setup like that. So they had a lot of deposits from the tech and the venture capital firms. And as interest rates started to rise, all before we get to that, they mm-hmm. also invested heavily in uh, treasury bonds mm-hmm. and other securities, and they had some loans out there. So if you look at the percentage of their loans and the bonds that they invested in relative to their deposits, they invested 110% mm-hmm. of the actual cash that was deposited by customers. Wow. So the money's tied up. Remember the example that we spoke about where the bank may have 20%, for example, of the actual cash liquid that they can give you. They invested 110%. So now the the Fed, US Fed, they start to raise the Fed fund rates. And that impacts the interest rates for everything else, even the savings rate that you get on um, your savings account. And investors, these tech companies, venture capital companies, they're starting to find it's harder and harder for them to raise capital on their end. So Mm -hmm. now they start to pull on the cash that they have in the bank and they start to burn through it. In addition to that, they say, you know what, you know, rates are going up. We have better uses for the capital that we have in the bank. Let's go ahead and buy some, some bonds. Let's buy other companies, whatever the case may be. They start to utilize the capital and invest it elsewhere. So now they're pulling more and more money out of the bank. And as a result of this outflow of cash, now Silicon Valley says, okay, we need to go ahead and raise some more cash mm-hmm. in order to remain liquid. And they started to sell some of the bonds that they bought. And to make things simple, 
when interest rates are low, you you can buy a bond for a higher dollar amount. And yeah. then when interest rates rise, in order to provide a larger yield, that same bond needs to sell for a lower dollar amount. Yeah. So the value of the bonds that Silicon Valley bought decreased substantially. Yeah. I think it was around $16 billion. And that was about the total amount of equity that was left mm -hmm. on the balance sheet of Silicon Valley Bank. So they had that big equity loss. Deposits are flowing out. And on top of that, um, you know, word gets out. They put out a notice. Uh, it's, it's called an 8K notification. So they put that out on a Thursday, letting folks know that, hey, we have this significant loss that's occurred when we sold those bonds to raise additional cash because investors are trying to, well, not investors, um, clients mm -hmm. of the bank, they're starting to ask for their money back because interest rates are going up. And then by Friday, everybody's trying to get their money out because they realize, hey, you know, you have this $16 billion loss. The equity you have on your balance sheet is pretty much zero at this point, And the deposit outflow is still continuing. And then the FDIC came and stepped in yeah. and took the bank over. So that yeah. was that bank. Then yeah. the same thing starts to happen with Signature Bank, which is based in um, New York. And yeah. they focus on cryptocurrency. That's kind of their niche. And then you have Credit Suisse. Uh, that's related, but different. Yeah. You know, they actually had a whole history of issues going back to 2014, um, where they were helping U.S. taxpayers avoid paying taxes. Then yeah. they were involved in the IPO of Lumpkin Coffee, which is a Chinese-based company. Mm. The only issue is Lumpkin was inflating its sales, and Credit Suisse did the underwriting. Mm. And then, you know, a whole bunch of other issues. Fast forward now. Um, people start to get worried after they put out a notice saying that they found some issues with their accounting. And mm -hmm. then the Saudis uh, who are their top investors said they're not going to give them any more money. And yeah. there was another run on the bank. So I'll pause there, but you can kind of see yeah. how everything is related. Um, yeah. It all comes back to a mismanagement of allocation of funds. It sounds like, like everyone from even the mortgage down to now with like, in general, you have to have, you know, the cash to back up a loan. And on, on both occasions, there, there wasn't cash available, kind of, sort of. I don't or, know. I don't know if I would say the mismanagement, maybe in 2008, the mismanagement, but I think uh, Cameron, correct me if I'm wrong, but this time it was just kind of, I wouldn't say negligence, but I think it was good hygiene of paying attention to what what's happening in the economy and how you can manage risk, but not necessarily like fraud, you know, this time. Yeah, not fraud. No, definitely like more on the, the fact that the the bank, um, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, sounds like they were giving out more money than they may have should have you know yeah they, they definitely swung for the fences and invested a lot and um a bit more aggressively uh there's a, a plot that um jp morgan has put on it's it's a chart where you can see the respective banks um Citibank, you know wells fargo S silicon valley and you can see as a percentage of their deposits how much they have outstanding and that really shows you when you look at it, Silicon Valley Bank, they were all the way to the right, you know, so yeah. they were taking on a lot more risk than even some of the more larger, better known banks that uh, we're aware of. And I call 2008 and 2023, these are kind of black swan events, which just yeah. happens to be the name of my YouTube channel, mm -hmm. Black Swan Financial. <laughs> um, so in the field of finance, black swans are low probability events that mm -hmm. actually occur. And 2008, you know, the bankers didn't anticipate that everybody would start defaulting on their loans. And this time around, the bankers didn't anticipate that interest rates would go up so sharply and yeah. people would want their money back. Mm. So one thing just leads to another, but it's the, that tail risk that people don't anticipate. And that's what gets you. Yeah. How do you think, Um, you talked about Credit Suisse, how do you think that 
the situation over there is going to impact the U.S. economy? Do you feel like, obviously, if there are corporations that have expo international exposure, um, when you think of like foreign currency and um, doing business with customers that are not U.S., but how do you do you see that it's going to impact um, the U.S. economy, like so similar to Silicon Valley, or do you think it's kind of isolated to Europe? I mean, I feel like we're all connected um, in some form or fashion. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good question. I actually think that we won't see the impacts front and center, but they're definitely going to be there. And just to give you an example with Credit Suisse, when they were purchased by UBS, which is a German bank, mm-hmm. there was a tier of debt called the additional tier one bonds. So mm-hmm. it's about $17.5 billion worth of bonds. And that was wiped out to zero. Wow. And in the U.S., um, some of your listeners, they may be familiar with PIMCO, Pacific Investment Management Company, um, based out in California. They had $3 billion of the $17.5 billion that went to yeah. zero. So PIMCO, they have in- employees. So, of yeah. course, you know, there are a lot of layoffs that are going on in the U.S. right now. Um my employer, we're doing a round of layoffs right now, and I'm sure mm-hmm. you've seen it, Amazon, yeah. Microsoft, and so on. So yeah. they may have some additional layoffs as a result of that. If some of your listeners are in Atlanta, there's a company called Invesco. It's a finance firm. It's based out there. They had around $370 million of exposure from the Credit Suisse uh, right down. So I'm pretty sure... They're trying to figure out, okay, how do we shore up our balance sheet now that we have this loss and maybe we need to cut some heads. So there'll be a knock-on effect. And then on top of that, everyone's paying attention to all the bank collapses. So if you see something's happening in Europe, you see a round of layoffs going on, people are going to get real cagey about how they park their money and manage their money altogether. So I think we'll see some impacts. Yeah. I mean, even speaking to the layoffs like going on currently with tech companies. And if mm-hmm. if we're talking about Silicon Valley, a lot of those are tech companies. So are those at all um intertwined? Um or you know, because the, the layoffs started last year, but then the failure of the bank was this year. So are they related at all? Or do you think they were? Uh, no, I, I don't think they're well. They, yes, they they have to be, but, but yeah. not that apparent. I think it's just the tech companies, they're the canary in the coal mine. They're telling us what's to come. You yeah. know, tech companies, if you look at their PL, their margins, their profit margins are some of the largest. Yeah. And they're cutting back because they see that business is starting to slow down. Yeah. And of course, they're starting to pull more and more of their cash because it's expensive to borrow. So they don't want to go to the market and borrow money. They're just going to churn through the cash and them pulling that cash is what's causing the banks to start to fail uh, altogether. And same thing that we see with uh, Silicon Valley, Credit Suisse, they had the same thing. Depositors are trying to pull their money out and yeah, it's, it's related in that regard, but you, you won't see anything more substantial in terms of the connection, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that does. Yeah. Yeah. I know uh, Dolce Bank and all of the turmoil that's going on around that um, bank right now is still kind of fresh and new. It was more on the news recently. Is there anything that you can tell us, any insight you can tell us about that particular bank and how it will impact? It might be too soon to even know, but um, just wanted to know your thoughts. Yeah, I I, I haven't paid as much attention to Deutsche Bank. Um what I can tell you is financially, the bank is sound. You know, unlike Credit Suisse, they don't have a liquidity issue. They don't have a capital structure issue. You know, Credit Suisse, they actually dip below some of the mandated regulatory liquidity levels. But Deutsche Bank, they're not in that position. Um, so I don't think they'll run into any major concerns. Um, part of the issue is also with the Credit Suisse failure 
Mm -hmm. I'll call it a failure as opposed to bankruptcy. Um, the wiping out of those bonds that also caused issues for some of the other European banks, you know, in terms of raising their cost of borrowing money, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I know the regulators in Germany and the UK, they've come out and they've made some statements to provide some confidence in terms of what any sort of intervention by the regulators would look like. So I think Deutsche Bank, they'll, they'll stand the test of time, in my opinion. I don't think they'll have any long-term issues. I think they'll mm. be able to survive this. Nice. Well, if we, I have like, if we want to pivot it more away from like the technical or mm -hmm. more of the bank failures, but just thinking of us as individuals, we talked about layoffs. Um, I don't want to say the R word because technically <laughs> with the definition, we're not in a recession. We're not in a recession. No. Um, mm -hmm. But it feels like it, you know, mm -hmm. when it comes to a lot of the things that are happening in the economy, what would you say is the best way for our listeners and, you know, your viewers um, that will see this, like, what can we do to protect ourselves? Like, what can we do right now for us and our families? Make a plan. Okay. That is the best thing you can do. And you make a plan, not because you expect everything to go as planned, but when things happen, it allows you to improvise yeah. a lot faster. So you can react a lot faster. So make a plan and whether that's you by yourself, you and your spouse, figure out, okay, how much do we have in an emergency fund? And if you have your savings account, take your net pay and we'll divide your savings by your net take home pay to see how many months you have. Figure out roughly how much you would get in terms of unemployment. So you have a proxy of, okay, how long can I really stretch this out for? Um, that's one thing that you can do. Figure out what you would cut if you needed to cut and brush up that resume just in case. <laughs> you know, those are the the key things. But you know, other than that, I would say it's just continue to do your best at whatever it is that you do for a living, whether you're self-employed or you're employed at a company, because right now all companies, all companies are going through the process where they're trying to get as lean as possible. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to make sure that they can keep the profits up yeah. essentially. When you think of your 401k or your retirement, because I know for me right now, I I need to stay off of Fidelity and, you know, all of those <laughs> other sites because that I store my, you know, retirement and mm -hmm. it's um it's gut wrenching um because, you know, you see the the markets go up and down and that's just normal. Like there will be highs and lows all the time. Um so the advice is to stay off, but how would you you know, kind of this maybe walking into the financial advisor territory, but we're going to kind of move back just to high level. Mm -hmm. How have you, or what would you advise your friends and family? I would say to, mm -hmm. when you think about retirement, just from your personal experience, not necessarily advising in general, but what yeah. have you done to protect yourself from the retirement or 401k, like all of the losses? Would you say diversify? Would you say kind of, what would you I, I would say if you're one of us that are on this call and you have access to the resources where you can monitor the markets and you can see things coming before it's widely known, maybe you can take some action. At this point, I think it's a little bit too late to take yeah. action. But, you yeah. know, if you go back, you know, several months and you kind of saw the tea leaves, you know, that something was coming, then maybe you could, you know, get out of some of your investments move a little bit more towards uh just cash you know again speaking solely 401k here yeah um but at this point i would say for the average person just sit tight and continue continue contributing to your 401k there was a study that i saw recently and then I'll, I'll ask you guys this question mm -hmm. between the age of 30 and 35 how much do you think the average american has saved for retirement Ten thousand. Ten thousand. Um, I know, very low, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, twenty-five. Fifty-five. Yeah. 55 okay, okay, good. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. I was very pessimistic, as you saw with my number. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and 
how much do you think you should have saved up by age 35 for retirement? Ooh, by age 35? I, I know. Yeah. I was going to say, I think I know by like the age of retirement, you want to have about like 2 million, I think they say. Is that true? I'll answer that in a second. Okay, uh, sorry. sorry. I'll answer that in a second. But so my uh, guess for a 35 year old, you should probably have like 150, maybe. Yeah, I would say about a quarter million, about 250. Oh, okay. By age 35. Uh huh. Okay. Well, it, it's interesting that the two of you look at it as a specific dollar amount. Um, mm -hmm. Everyone's situation is different. Your expenses mm -hmm. are different. So the rule of thumb is by age 35, you should have at least one X your, your salary. Mm -hmm. So however you make, however much you make, you should have one X and every five years, you know, half, uh, half of your salary mm -hmm. should be added onto that. So by age 40, you should have, you know, 1.5 X of your salary. Makes and sense. the, the 2 million that of course depends on how much you make, but yeah. most people, they're not going to achieve that at all. Um, but going back to the original question, you know, I would say continue to contribute. If you have, well, take a look at the retirement plan that your employer offers the 401k, because you may be able to do um, some additional contributions beyond the IRS you know, limit that everyone is familiar with the 22,500, you know, so some plans, they allow you to contribute in the after-tax bucket. And mm -hmm. if that's the case in your plan, then you can actually go up to, I think now it is $58,000. So you can contribute up to 58,000 and that 58,000 would be the 22,500, whatever your employer matches and the differences between that some and the 58,000 you can put into the after-tax bucket so you can get some additional money in your 401k. And the good thing about it is if you are worried about getting sued down the line or you're worried about um, a potential bankruptcy, for the most part, what you put into your retirement account is safe. A perfect example of that, I hate to say it, is OJ Simpson yeah. because you know <laughs> he's got a, a lawsuit out there well, a judgment where he's supposed to pay several millions of dollars, but they can't touch his uh, retirement funds. Wow. And because of that, he still lives the millionaire lifestyle, yeah. even though he hasn't paid this multi-million judgment. Wow. That's but as soon as he brings the money out of his, like, re starts dipping into retirement, how does that work? I kind of always wonder, like, not, uh, we don't have to talk about OJ Simpson in general, <laughs> or in specific, yeah. um, but, like, I've always kind of wondered, because I know some people may dip into retirement and other retirement funds for, like, a general savings fund. You pay taxes on it, and then what? Like, yeah, I guess I'm kind of curious about um, if someone were to, you know, withdraw from their 401k and why you advise them to keep contributing even in this like turbulent environment. Yeah. And, and again, some plans are going to be different, but I mean, at least for the plans that I've looked at, when you withdraw, there are only specific situations where you're allowed to withdraw, buying a house, um, for example, yeah. but those are loans. And mm -hmm. a lot of the plans that I see, you can take the loan but there's strict rules about how long you have to pay it back. And you also have to pay interest on top of that. Mm -hmm. So you're paying yourself interest on what you borrow from your 401k. And if you don't pay that back, then there's the penalty of, if you don't pay it back by the due date, you have tax penalty. You also lose out on your 401k um, savings. Mm -hmm. and appreciation as well mm -hmm. so there's it's not advisable if you yeah. can avoid it to, to borrow from the 401k but in uh oj's case his money comes largely from pensions so he's not the actual owner of the funds either yeah. um but it's <laughs> different than 401ks yes yeah. well i've learned so much just <laughs> yeah you know, sitting here listening to you. I know uh, 
Nick has us in uh, indirect and direct group chat (laughs) about about this um, situation. And so I'm just so appreciative of you coming on and sharing your advice to us and letting us know your insight on these Black Swan events um, happening. And so uh, before we end our interview, can you share a little bit of information about your platform for our listeners so that they can check other events out that you have talked about? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the name of our YouTube channel is Black Swan Financial. And if you go onto YouTube, if you uh, go to youtube.com forward slash C forward slash B Swan, letter B and then Swan Financial, uh, you'll find our, our channel. We're also on Instagram at B Swan Financial. And basically we focus on dissecting some of the more complex you know, finance-related topics, specifically for the minority population. That's not to say that everyone isn't welcome, but, you know, a lot of us didn't grow up with parents that could teach us the ins and outs and, you know, how banking works, how to invest your money, that sort of thing. So that's what we try to dissect. And in addition to just talking through it, a lot of the other YouTube channels, they'll talk through and explain the concepts. We really put emphasis on putting it on screen so you can visually see what's going on. And I think that really helps to, you know, explain a lot of the concepts, like what happens when the FDIC steps in, you know, now you can visually see exactly what happens, you know, on screen. And that helps people understand it a lot better. Yes. Thank you so much for educating us and continuing in the mission that it sounds like you've set forward for your career and really the betterment of a society with making sure we're educated in finance and also, um, you know, our peak success. So I appreciate you coming on and the time spent. Thanks for having me. I learned so much. Awesome. Thank you, Cameron. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks. So welcome back, guys. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, but we really hope that you enjoyed that interview just like we did. Um, Taylor and I have been talking about it, and I just had to jot down some notes from that interview to take away with me. And so Taylor's going to chime in if she feels led, but I was the one that was just like scribbling and down. So take notes. It's all in the dome. It's in the All right. So um, I really liked the interview because I felt like Cameron really gave an overview of the banking industry and how it works. I know Taylor mentioned us learning it in like middle school and high school, depending on how your schooling was structured. But it was good to kind of hear feedback or an overview again um, about how it works and why it's important, why there's so many roles, why you get charged all these fees for you taking your money out of your savings account and et cetera, and what they use that for. It was just a good refresher. It's but just I, interesting with that to me. I don't know. You said what? It's just so interesting to me with that, like like with your own money, but if you wanted to grow it, uh, you couldn't grow it any other way, but like they're basically leaning on inflation to grow your money but anyways uh, I don't know if I would agree they're they're leaning on inflation to grow your money but at some point because even if they loan your money out and people bring the money back to you they still have to have the hard cash so they only operate by somehow making a profit from so maybe not inflation but interest I was going to say, I think that's the word that you're... That is the word that I was looking for, interest from other people, yeah. Yeah. And it all is just like a tangled weave, but whatever. I mean, it is, if you want to participate in it, there's benefits to it. There's cons, but there's also cons and benefits to you keeping your money stashed in your house in a safe somewhere. So it's, uh, it's, it's opening. I think a lot of people have their opinions on well, this is my money. I should be able to do a blah, blah, blah. But, you know, but when you decide to deposit it into a banking institution, you kind of, you sign up for whatever the the rules are for them keeping your stuff safe. So there's, there's pros and cons. Um, but I also like the fact that he talked about the 
um, 2008 recession and kind of broke that down because um, Taylor is really asking some good questions around how is this different than the banking crisis that we're going through right now? Like, is it the same? Because I think a lot of people that either they're not reading business news or they didn't go to business school or they're not just immersed into the industry of business, especially finance, finance, Mm -hmm. um, it can be overwhelming, especially with the headlines like banking collapse and you're like what the hell you know like (laughs) you're trying to figure out okay is that my bank like what are they doing to you know for there to be a crisis and so it was it was good to kind of hear from him like separating the two um for us and another thing was around like black swan events and how they're one-offs and so it was good to kind of get a refresher i mean i remember talking about that in business school um so I was familiar with it but it was cool that he based his entire platform off of talking about these one-off type of situations to get his viewers prepared for these one in a lifetime or to get them knowledgeable about history of you know, the financial industry or uh, economics. And and there, he do- talks about a whole bunch of other things, but it was cool for that too. And lastly, the last thing that I would say is um, how he talked about how the international banks, like banks in different other countries, like Bank Swiss and Deutsche Bank and all of those, how they're it's indirectly impacting the American way of life or our financial industry he mentioned layoffs and how they're you know even though we're not going in I actually don't know because we have to check I feel like the recession is always at the edge you know of it feels like recession but the technical term is is we're not technically in a recession yet and so I feel like with all of these different changes with the crisis and collapse and the layoffs and the lean companies trying to lean out, it's just, it's scary and overwhelming. And him providing the advice to make a plan with yourself or your significant other by making, you know, looking at your budget, what you're spending every single month and seeing what you can cut back from, brushing up on your resume. If you are a part of the group that gets um, let go, and then also really with your 401k staying the course. And at this point, if you haven't already taken money out to just keep it in because the industry is so cyclical or the stock market is cyclical. So th- it might be down right now, but it's going to eventually go back up and you mm-hmm. have time. And so just to keep it in there. So I don't know. I found it to be insightful and so we definitely will share his contact information his platforms everything in the show notes if you guys want to go check him out too so taylor as we keep this show rolling yes. uh, what is the self-care tip of the week self-care tip of the week it's so hard because like i've been kind of really introspective there's a lot of transitions that are going on right now but um uh I love the way like Amber didn't know what I meant by transitions the the solar and and moon and it was stars and moons yeah (laughs) (laughs) but also physically in the sense of like what's going on in life but anyways I have a lot of choices (laughs) but um the choice that I want to go with today um so it's hard to expand in multiple directions at once Mm -hmm. so um it's simple like allocation of energy um it's hard because we have so many different ways that we're pulled in our life um but it it's really hard to um as we kind of talked earlier when we talked about like vectors um magnitude and direction so you only really in like most data move in one direction um 
and these vectors are set off of a standpoint in time. So anyways, long story short, um, it, it's really hard because we have so many different things in life that pull us, um, that make us want to show up that, you know, we found find value in. But at the same time, you have to focus at some point on on what it is and the seasons will change seasons will always change um in the sense of what you can focus on um at one moment in time and um I think that we we always focus on trying to have it all at once and this self-care tip came from a kids science fair project this is how like I I, I'm really off in my own world a lot of the time (laughs) and so he was talking about making boba Mm, um and he said um you know he used a sphere spherification process so Mm -hmm. you've probably seen it on the cooking shows amber you use like sodium acetate and some other mixture and then when they combine the outside you know congeals and the inside stays moist wet liquidy Mm -hmm. popping boba is what that's called um and so He was talking about different um, liquids that he used, RC, cola, um, he used Sprite, he used orange juice, and then I can't remember what the other one was. But nonetheless, when he was using one of them, um, his, his one dimension became longer than the other. So instead of being like little balls, they were kind of like flattened spheres if you were flattened I don't know what you call those but like they weren't three-dimensional they weren't the same way three-dimensional and what you're overcoming at that point is surface tension and um you know a lot of other molecular things physics gravity mm-hmm. all of the things right so um it, it just really made me think about how what do you measure yourself by? Because that was a question. Yes, I did ask the little, I don't know, fifth grader. Um, (laughs) Okay, you said this was the biggest, but like, what was the real, you know, big? Because it's only big in one dimension. It's not 3D. So, I mean, it is 3D, but it's not a sphere. So Mm -hmm. if other ones were able to make better spheres, is it what are you measuring the best boba by, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has to have in scientific realms, clear definitions called a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so anyways, uh, he really inspired me. His, um, all the kids did really. It made me think about things differently, especially even, you know, doing the type of research that I do and the type of questions that I need to ask. Um, but I also think that it's it's one of those things that in life we we often are trying to have it all and rarely ever is that the case. Um, you only have a certain allotment of energy, so be diligent with it and make it most effective and take care of yourself and show up where you decide to show up. Nice. Yeah. Okay. that's my self-care tip of the week amber what's our tip of the week i mean i guess it's kind of aligned with the tip of the week that i had this week so the tip is so i was reading an email that i came across and i was just like man why are you talking to me like this so (laughs) a quote well it really wasn't even a quote it was a sentence in the long email that said remember if you can't make it work on paper you won't make it work in reality. Hmm. I was like, what? So um, in this context, he was talking about time. Honestly, that that's literally what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. But that could apply to so many different things. You know, as you write down your dreams and 
you write down goals and I know Taylor's like New Year's resolutions. Uh, I think it's important to write down dreams and goals. I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's important as we wrap up Q1 that we look back and reflect on how we spent the last 90 days of this year, good or bad, whether you met a goal or you didn't, but just reflecting, you know, sometimes that overwhelmingness, like Taylor was mentioning of having it all right now is a lot because you want it all right now, but you don't have the mental or physical capacity to be able to do what it need, what you need to do right now to be able to have it all right now. But then also too, you have to grow through the growing stages of getting to what your dreams and aspirations are. And so sometimes it that takes time, just like with anything that is worth keeping takes time. It's never easy. So whether it's Taylor's PhD, PhD degree, um, that's going to take her a few years, whether it's a relationship or a marriage or, you know, raising children or growing your career, it could be anything, a mm-hmm. hobby, a business, whatever it takes time and so the reality is that we only have a certain amount of it and as you are for me I am a planner Mm -hmm. and so good or bad um it, it it could be good and it can also be um addictive and overwhelming for those for some and so for me the way that I took this quote was you are you say you're busy all the time, but are you busy because you're not prioritizing mm-hmm. things? Are you busy because, and prioritizing means you can do, let's say you can, you can take on all of these different things, but you're trying to rank them all as a 10 when some of them are sevens. Mm-hmm. Some of them don't even need to happen today. You have deadlines. You're trying to get something done today that's not even due until next week, but you have other things that are more pressing. That's priorities. And yeah. so are you prioritizing enough time for you to be able to have rest and relaxation or not even necessarily relaxation, time to reflect, to think, to sleep, to spend time with those that you care about to get back to activities that you actually enjoy doing. And so I like this quote because it's a reality, a gut, like gut punch that if you can't fit it on your 24 hours that you have every day and half of that time is gone because of sleep and personal responsibilities, you know, working out, sleep, spending time with your loved ones, eating, you know, (laughs) using the bathroom, you know, all those minutes add up, you know, the other half of that day. So let's say a solid eight to 12 hours, you know, if you can't get through things that are part of these big priority and not priorities, but big things on your list and you can't fit it in those blocks on your, on your calendar, then you're, maybe you might need to reset expectations Mm-hmm. And so I liked this quote because it was a good reality check. And for me, it was a good reminder because it really made me sit there and think because I'm like, okay, maybe I need to step back. So I actually, because of this sentence and this email, actually made some calls and some emails and said, hey, I won't be able to do this in this capacity that you need me to be in, but I can still support you know, because I couldn't fit it on paper. I could not fit it on paper anymore. And even if I could put it on paper, it wasn't in the time that they needed me to fit it on that piece of paper. So if you are dealing with overwhelmingness, anxiety, um, you feel like you have a lot on your plate, you feel exhausted, like you don't have uh, enough time, maybe you need to sit down with the 24 hours that you have every single day and be intentional about them but then also don't pile them up with so many different tasks, but still allow yourself to enjoy life, you know? And if outside of those, let's say you have 12, outside of those, I don't know, four hours that you literally don't have anything allocated to, 
if those four hours with the things that you have on your list throughout your week and throughout your month, if those can never get done, then you need to really have a a come to Jesus moment and say, hey, I know that I I said that I was going to do this, but actually I, I can't anymore. And I think that's where people struggle mm-hmm. is they don't want to fail anyone. But then mm-hmm. also in the midst of it, they're over promising and they're failing anyways because someone depended on you. Mm-hmm. If you said, hey, I wasn't, I'm not going to be able to do this long before they even started depending on you then they could reset expectations and you guys can negotiate what you can actually provide to them. But if you don't say anything because of your pride or you don't want to fail or all these different things, then it really doesn't benefit anyone that's involved. And so, and I think a lot of people struggle with that. That's not just like a personal thing. I think a lot of people struggle with that because they want, especially women, we want to seem superhuman we want to be able to see that we can do it all especially moms too like and you can't you can't do it all you can't do it all right now you know like maybe you can do it all eventually Mm -hmm. if that's what you because priorities change as you go through different waves of your life but I don't know this really spoke to me so I like this it was good Mm -hmm. I think I actually might write it down and put it on the wall something so it can remind me of anytime mm-hmm. ask someone ask me to to do something or if I'm thinking of picking up something that I can it'll be a reminder like hey what block or day is this going to fit and if it if you don't have any blocks left then you just can't do it right now you know yeah. so. it just makes me think like my um counselor and he was a counselor for a little bit but anyways we were talking about my schedule and he was like, well, do you write stuff down? Cause I was having like anxiety about stuff. He's like, well, do you write stuff down? I was like, yeah. And it's like, yeah, but sometimes I don't, you know, follow it. And he's like, well, is it then realistic? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you can't go every hour of every day. So I think that also speaks to that too. Yeah. And I think um, when you hear so many conflicting tools around time blocking, focus timers, all these different things, planners. I mean, there's a million and one planners. You can just pick whatever type of flavor of a planner you want out there electronically, physically. I do a combination of both. But I think sometimes for those that it's overwhelming, it's just like budgeting. No one want, unless you truly love, you know, sitting there and budgeting your money and seeing in most cases for most of us, there's nothing much left. And so that can become very deflating. Uh, <laughs> you're like, you sit there and you're just like, I don't want to do this. And then you're like, listen, I'd rather go get that B-dubs, you know, knowing that you shouldn't be buying it, but it is what it is. It's like, I feel like budgeting is kind of sometimes the same as planning, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of upkeep. It's a lot of commitment. It's discipline. It's just like your fitness journey. You yeah. have to get up. You got to manage your minutes. You got to know what you're going to eat. You got to plan ahead of time. It's. I feel like life is about planning. And I, I um, am starting to acknowledge that I suffer from a little bit of anxiety too, especially managing um, my current, like just different like loads it doesn't even have to be like workload passions family like it's uh, sometimes I think to myself when I'm driving I'm like how did you do this like in the past like wonder why people thought you were you know x y and z way and and now you don't you don't have the capacity to do that for for multiple different reasons and I think sometimes you shouldn't. And I think that's why a lot of people, not a lot of people, but some people, if they have the resources and the means, they start allocating their money to to save them time. Yeah. So I definitely am an advocate of um, virtual assistant or, you know, house cleaner, babysitter, you know, all these different things if you have the means because that time you can't get back. So very anyway. true. All right. So Taylor, where can you find us? 
You can find us on Instagram at theinnercircle.podgals. You can also send us an email to theinnercircle.podgals at gmail.com. Yes. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, follow, leave us a review on Apple. Um, and then also you can interact with us on um, Spotify's platform too. So we'll leave a question. I guess, what should the question be this week? Uh, how are you, let's say, are you managing your minutes? Let's do that. Or we can probably do what are you the most nervous about from the economy? So we'll do both. We'll do a poll and we'll do a question to kind of see what you guys are kind of gauging just for fun. Those answers and responses only come to us. No one can see them. They're not public. So please uh, interact with us that way and let us know what you thought about today's podcast. And we will see you guys in two weeks, y'all. Yes, take good care.